Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. And while you're turning there, uh, an announcement for you. We need a choir practice after church today. Uh, we'll start our preparations for the Christmas program for the choir. And so, choir practice after church today. There is no men's meeting after the services this afternoon. It was announced that there would be today. I think on Wednesday, but that is canceled, so we don't need to worry about that, all right? Acts chapter 27, I'm going to read a good portion of this passage, so sort of like this morning, uh, there's an entire story here uh, that we need to walk through, and so follow along with me as I read, um, we'll start in verse 9 of chapter 27 and read down through the end of the chapter. Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already past, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the, centur the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious uh, to winter or to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain Phoenice and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clotta, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country, and sounded and found it twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it fifteen fathoms. Then fearing, lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. 
And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were all in the ship, two hundred, threescore, and sixteen souls. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into the which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoist up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Now, we read all of that because we needed the whole context of this story. And the context of it all is that these people, these sailors, were in a storm that was overwhelming. And it was overwhelming to the point of death. And in an effort to save the ship, in an effort to save their lives, the Bible tells us that they cast four anchors out into the sea. Those anchors proved to be ineffective against that storm, and that ship was ultimately lost. However, on board was the Apostle Paul. He was a special man. He was special for several reasons. Number one, he was a child of God. Number two, he was on a mission from God. Number three, he was a man who believed in God. And fourthly, he was a man who was in fellowship with God. Because of all of those things and because of who he was, Paul had a steady calm in the midst of that raging storm. All of these feared for their lives. But Paul was steady. Paul was calm, even in the midst of such a trial. Even though that ship wasn't safe, Paul was safe. Those sailors, the Bible tells us, threw four anchors into the sea in an attempt to steady that ship. Those earthly anchors failed. And as we're reading through this passage of Scripture, we become aware that Paul actually had four anchors as well, but they were anchors of a different kind. Those anchors were things that steadied him in the middle of that storm, and even though that ship was shaken and battered, Paul was steady and calm and strong. And I want to take a few minutes this afternoon and highlight these anchors in this passage that anchored Paul in the storm because those same anchors are available to you and to me in the storms of life. And we ought to be able to stay steady and calm no matter what happens around us. 
And so I want you to follow along with me as we consider four anchors that Paul had as we consider as well the anchors that keep the soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd give me liberty here to, to teach, to preach, and or that these truths would be applicable in the lives of your people. We all face storms of life at various times. Uh, the road or the sea could get really rough in the days ahead. And what is it that's going to steady us? What is it that's going to keep us from sinking? And Lord, I pray that we would make the right applications here this afternoon for these anchors for the soul. And we thank you that you are always faithful, that you never fail. And Lord, that all things, even though hard things, they work together for good to them that love God, that you have a purpose in them for your glory, for our spiritual good. And Lord, I pray that you'd cause us to rest and rejoice in these promises and these truths here today. In Jesus' name, amen. The first anchor for the soul that I want to draw out here that is an anchor for our life as well, we find in verse 23. So in the middle of all of this, um, Paul says to them in verse 22, I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. And here's why, verse 23, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. The first anchor that we draw out of this passage that Paul had was the strong anchor of the presence of God. The strong anchor of the presence of God. Paul said, be of good cheer. Here's why you should be of good cheer. Because this night the angel of the Lord stood by me. Even in the midst of this raging storm, Paul found that he was not alone. The Lord came to him and ministered peace to his heart in the middle of the storm. And here's the application, friends. Regardless of the storm that tosses your life or mine, whenever that may be, listen, if we, we can have the very same confidence that Paul had in his relationship to the Lord. He said, the Lord stood by me. We can have faith in the promise that, he, that the Lord gave us, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Just keep your place here. Hebrews chapter 13, and look at verse 5. <clears throat> verse 5 says, Let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Word of God tells us, and, and, and the Lord said this to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Somebody asked me just recently, is it okay to, to take uh, something that was said to the nation of Israel and apply it to ourselves in our own life? Sometimes it, sometimes it is okay, especially when that principle or that promise is, is reiterated in the New Testament like this. God said to the nation of Israel, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but, but the author of, of the writer of, of, of or excuse me, the writer of Hebrews says, it was said then, but, but here's the principle. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and so that you can boldly say, the Lord is my help. Remember David, 
in Psalm 23 when he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. For thou art with me. What an encouragement it is to know that we'll never face an instant of life or an instance of life on our own. As a child of God, and Paul said in our text, he said, the Lord stood by me, who's, who, who I belong to and who I serve. We belong to the Lord if you're a child of God. We belong to the Lord. And we'll never face an instance of life on our own. Every step, every valley, every mountain is graced by the presence of the Lord as a child of God. And that, remember the song that we sang, though it's, though it's not seen by earthly eyes, sometimes we forget, sometimes we can't see it, but the Lord said, I'll never leave you. When you get down to verse 6 of Psalm 23, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Somebody said once that those are the blessed footmen of God. Goodness and mercy of God. They follow us everywhere we go. What a great promise. What a great calm for the soul. What a great anchor for the soul to know the presence of God. It would be a blessing if we enjoyed the manifest presence of the Lord as Paul did. So often, though, in the middle of trial, in the middle of hardship in life, our response is not the same as the Apostle Paul's. Be of good cheer, brothers. Right? Our response is not that. Our response is the end of the world is coming. The sky is falling. And we're certainly not of good cheer. But with the presence of the Lord, no matter what the trial, be of good cheer. Even when you can't see Him, He's still there. He's still watching. He's still leading. He's still protecting. He's still being God. Amen? The presence of the Lord should be an anchor for the soul. Look at verses 24 and 25 because we see the second anchor. Verse 24 says, Paul says, saying, fear not, Paul. Here's what the angel said, angel of God said to him, fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told to me, the second anchor for the soul is the promises of God. The angel of the Lord came. The presence of the Lord was there. And he said this, don't be afraid. You're going to be brought before Caesar. This isn't the end of your life. And besides that, God's given all of them that sail with you, uh, spared their life as well. And so Paul says to the rest of them, listen, this is what God told me. Be of good cheer, for I believe God. It's going to be just as he told me it would be. That's a powerful principle. The promise of God. We've got the word of God 
and the promises of God. We've got the end already told to us. Amen. As a child of God, where we're going to be. Why fear? Why be upset? We ought to believe it's going to be just as it was told us it's going to be. Amen? Paul weathered that long and terrible storm. The Lord came to him, but the Lord gave him a promise. And he reminded Paul that I've got a job for you to do. You've got to stand before Caesar. And all of those who are on the ship are going to be spared as well. That caused Paul to cheer the promise of the Lord. Just having a word from God was enough to anchor him and give him assurance and peace. Why was that enough to anchor him? Because he knew that God was as good as his word, that God never fails, that his promise is always true. Look at Romans chapter 4. Hold your place here. Look at Romans 4. Verse 20, the Bible says he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Paul was writing regarding Abraham here, and Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but rather he was strong in faith and he was fully persuaded that God could do what He promised that He would do. God's promises are always steadfast. They're always true. Why is that the case? Because that's the character of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, and look at verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for a confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable or unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. God's promise ought to be an anchor for the soul. It's sure and it's steadfast and he can't, God cannot lie. It's his character. It's who he is. That's why his promises are always steadfast and true. That's why the promise from the Lord to the Apostle Paul was something that steadied him and anchored him. We've got promises in the word of God. Like Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God, right? You mean, you mean just the, the good things of life that work together for good, right? No, he said all things work together for good. Even tragic things in life 
work together for good. Even major mistakes that you make in your life still can work together for good. All things work together for good. Well, how in the world does, does, you know, do people survive when, when tragic things happen to them in life? Like, like maybe their, their child unexpectedly dies. Horrible, tragic things in life. How can that be good? I can't hardly imagine what it feels like to lose a child. There have been times in raising of our own kids, there have been a couple of times, in fact, where something happened that easily could have turned into death. There, I remember some times where... where you know, one of, the, one of the girls fell and cracked her head really hard on the concrete and, and she stopped breathing. Like her, her eyes rolled back, she started turning blue and my wife drops to her knees, starts praying immediately that God would, would spare, do something. I remember the panic starting to come over me in those moments. I can't hardly imagine what it would be like to actually have that happen. And people say, how is that good? And how do parents make it? And what we say to that is only His divine grace for the moment and only His blessed promise that all things work together for good to them that love God. That's how they make it. Wouldn't it be great to hear the voice of the Lord in the moments of trial, in the moments of hardship, in the moments of difficulty? Wouldn't it be great to hear a voice from the Lord saying, Hey, son, it's okay. I know what you're going through, but it's going to be okay. On the other side of this, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it through. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be great to hear that voice? Wouldn't that be calming to the soul in the middle of my life falling apart? And I hear God say, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it through this. Wouldn't that be great? And all of a sudden we'd be just like, okay, all right. This is a horrible thing that's happening, but I just heard the Lord say this. I know it's going to be fine and we're going to make it through. Wouldn't it be great to see a vision of an angel who comes by and says, hey, I know what you're going through, but the Lord sent me to tell you that it's going to be fine. What confidence for the trial that would bring, right? If we had the audible voice or we saw with our own eyes. And we say, well, man, I could have the same confidence that the Apostle Paul had if I heard that too. And yet the Lord's promise, friend, is always based on His Word. The Lord's promise is always based on His Word. There's nothing greater. It's pure. It's inspired. It's from the Lord. And when the world is falling apart and burning up in flames, the Word of God says that His Word endures forever. What am I trying to say? 
we have just as sure a promise as the very voice of the Lord coming to our ear right here. Why don't we believe it? Why don't we believe it? This is where we need to go to find the promise of the Lord, to hear the voice of the Lord. How do you respond in trial or tragedy? How do you respond in difficult times? I'll tell you, friends, I've needed these principles myself recently. I'm going to read for you a section of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and a very memorable scene from it. And I want you to follow along the, 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 the progress and I want you to follow along with some of these names and how applicable they are to our life. All right? In one of these scenes from Pilgrim's Progress, Christian found himself on the pathway of difficulty. And finding the pathway difficult, he climbed over a stile to walk in a meadowy bypass. Isn't that like us, who you don't like the road we're on, so we're trying to find a way out, greener pasture somewhere else, right? So finding the way difficult, he climbed over a stile to walk in a meadowy bypass. Eventually, though, the ground grew soggy and covered with poisonous vines. The sky became black, and Christian spent the night huddled at the foot of an oak tree, caught in a downpour. Next morning, giant despair came upon him and captured him and beat him and imprisoned him in the dungeon of Doubting Castle with its grim battlements and thick black walls. Christian tried to sing, but couldn't. His mood was dungeon dark. Giant despair beat him again mercilessly, and he grew weaker each day. At length he found in his cell a rope, a knife, and a bottle of poison, the tools of suicide. And for a moment, he was tempted to end his misery. But one evening, about midnight, he began to pray. And a little before day, good Christian, as one half amazed, break out into this passionate speech. He said, what a fool am I, thus to lie in a stinking dungeon, when I may as well walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise, that will, I am sure, open any lock in Doubting Castle. And you know, as the story goes on, it did. Using the key of God's promises, Christian escaped never again to fall into the clutches of giant despair or Doubting Castle. Isn't that just like us? The road is rough. I don't like the path I'm on. 
I want to get on to a different path, and I'm going to seek greener pastures, but all of a sudden, the sky grows dark, and the ground gets soggy, and nothing is going right, and all of a sudden, I find myself with despair and beating, being beaten mercilessly by despair, and I'm captive in the, in the doubting castle. And we fail to use the key of God's promises that give us stability in life. Is this, is this connecting? And what fools we are to lie in a stinking dungeon and have our mood dungeon dark. Amen? The promises of God are an anchor for the soul. And I would say to you, friend, claim the promises of God as an anchor for your soul. In whatever trial you're in. Because they unlock the prison of despair. And the devil wants to keep you chained in that prison. He doesn't want you to live victoriously. Go back to our text in chapter 27 and look at verse 24. Because we see the third anchor for the soul. Not only is there the presence of God and the promise of God, but thirdly, we find the strong anchor of the providence of God. Saying, fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Paul is told by the Lord that this storm is simply a part of God working out His plan in Paul's life. At that moment in time, that storm was actually the safest place in the world for Paul to be. And we read on how some wanted to get out of the ship. And Paul said, hey, everyone's got to stay because there's no guarantee there's not going to be a loss of life. That was the safest place to be, was right there where God said to be. Why? Because Paul was in the will of the Lord and God was working in a mighty way in that situation to bring about his will in Paul's life. And here's an application, friend. Did you know that God is doing the very same thing in your life and mine as well? Paul later said here in verse 25, he said, Be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told to me. It shall be. You know what? It might be a simple kind of faith that people call it. You just have simple faith. But I still believe that God is sovereign. I still believe that God is in control. And it means that He has absolute control over everything that happens in life. He's the sovereign Lord. He has absolute control over everything that happens in life, even the bad things. Sometimes He allows them Sometimes he even causes them, but he's the one who controls them. Isaiah 45, 7 says, I form the light and create darkness. 
I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. I have made the earth and created men upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts have I commanded. If I didn't know that God was in control, and if I didn't know that God was on His throne, there's lots of times when I feel like I don't even want to be here. I don't even want to live. I don't even want to live in this world. But as long as I know that He's the one who's in control, we can make our way by His grace through the storm. You remember in Mark chapter 6, the disciples in the storm on the Sea of Galilee, remember how they said, Lord, don't you care that we perish? Remember that? Don't you care that we're going through this storm, that we're going to die? You're here sleeping. What did Jesus say to them? That little faith. Oh, you have little faith. They were in the middle of something that they didn't want. But they were actually in the safest place they could ever be because Jesus was right there. He knows what is best. And that is exactly what He sends into our life. What is best? The best thing that we can do when the storms are raging around us is to just run to Him for refuge and to cling to Him till that storm passes by. There's a book called Quietness and Confidence. And the book is really about how to handle and how do we respond in the hard things of life. That's kind of the whole gist of the book. But the author says about trials of life. <coughs> he says, first, he brought me here. It is by His will I am in this straight place. In that fact, I can rest. So the understanding that the Lord is in control, that I'm here not by accident, but the Lord knows that. And so in that fact, I can rest. Next, He will keep me here in His love and give me the grace to behave as His child. Then He will make the trial a blessing teaching me lessons that He intends for me to learn, and working in me the grace He means to bestow. And lastly, in His good time, He can bring me out again, how and when only He knows. What a great perspective. The Lord brought me here, or allowed me to be here. It's in His will. Number two, He's going to give me the grace to behave rightly in the middle of it. And then he's going to make it a blessing because he's going to teach me the lessons that, that I can only learn through the trial. And then the last thing is that whenever the time is right, he'll bring me out again, but I know that I can trust him. Listen, you and I are here by God's appointment. But number two, we're always under his keeping. Number three, we're under his training. He's teaching us some things. And in his time, in his time, he'll bring us out again. Listen, that's the kind of confidence that allows us 
to be stable, to be calm in the middle of the storm. Remember Job? What Job said in the middle of all of his trials? He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And notice this. Even after Paul received the great promise of the Lord for himself and all on board the ship, there were some who still tried to take care of matters on their own. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 tells us that they sounded and found it 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color, as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, this is the 14th day. He said, this is for your health. You need to eat. And I'm reminding you that not a hair will fall from any of your heads. Some of them tried to get off the ship, even in the face of God's promise that not one of them would die. The men in the ship fought and feared and fretted in the midst of that storm. And that is so like us, even with the promises of God. We still fight and fear and fret. But Paul believed the Lord. He knew God was working and he used that truth as an anchor. Friends, we live in a day when men are abandoning ship at an alarming rate. The storms of life attack, they run from the church, try to find answers to their problems. We're talking to men's prayer meeting this morning about midterm elections and things like that. And there's so many people who put their hope in elections and put their hope in things getting better as soon as we can get Biden out of office, or as soon as we can gain control of the House and the Senate again, things will be better. Friends, don't put your hope in something that's not going to get better. This world is not going to get better. There might be a reprieve, but I promise you the world is not going to get better. We're seeing, we're seeing the very Word of God unfold right before our eyes. The Word of God tells us where this world is going to be. We need to live with that reality, friends. That in the last days, perilous times, troublesome times will come. What do we have to keep us steady? What do we have to anchor the soul? Well, it's not an election. It's not things. Your fortunes could dry up tomorrow. It better be something better than that. Amen. I think sometimes we need to be reminded that the best place that we could ever be in the storms of life is in the ship where the Lord wants us to be. 
Like I said, sometimes people run from the church, finding answers, wanting a different life. But you know, if you leave the ship, you might face the storms on your own. Paul said, everyone's got to stay or there's no guarantee that life is going to be saved. If you stay where the Lord has planted you, you can be assured that his work in your life is going to be carried out to completion. Now look at verse 44. We see the last strong anchor for the soul. Verse 43 says, But the centurion willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should be cast, cast themselves into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Here's the performance of God. God ultimately did exactly what he said he would do. What the Lord told Paul and what Paul believed would happen came to pass. Everyone made it safely to the shore. God kept his word as he always does. He proved himself. He proved himself to be as good as his word. And here's the application. God is going to work it all out. We can get through the storm. We can land safely beyond it because of the good promise of God. And you know what? There are times when it looks like your boat's going to sink, doesn't it? It's bad. And it looks like the boat's going to sink. It may look like the storm is going to prevail. But in the end, in the end, trusting the Lord, the waves settle down, the winds cease their blowing, and we see that God was in control all along. I can promise you this. <coughs> no storm in this life is ever going to be able to blow you off course, the course that God has determined for your life, if you simply keep your eyes on Him. I love Isaiah 26.3. should be a life verse. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Thou, thou, God, will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. What we need to do is always cast our anchor on the solid rock. Amen? The Lord Jesus Christ. He already knows what you're facing in this life, but He also knows what we're about to face. What He wants from us is to depend on Him, to trust Him. And in His presence is where there is perfect peace. I find turmoil in my life. Sometimes it's from my own making. But God is ever faithful. He's always gracious. He's merciful. He's kind. And when I turn back to Him, and when my eyes are fixed on Him, and I get into His presence, what do I find? I find rest. I find peace. 
That's what we need. It may be what we really need in the days ahead. I told you that I'm going to be starting a series of messages on prophecies of tomorrow explaining what we see today. And there's some things that I've been studying out that are very enlightening, eye-opening. I'm going to start it next week, Lord willing. But the reason I'm doing that is not so that we just have an understanding of what's unfolding politically or economically or whatever. The reason is to teach us and remind us what it should, how it should cause us to be living based on the knowledge that we have from the Word of God. And instead of fretting or instead of being so consumed with those things, it ought to remind us of exactly the fact that we have a job to do and it ought to remind us that we're here for such a time as this and all of these things are going to come to pass and we see them unfolding. We need to live in that reality. And so what does that mean for us? Well, it means here's how we should be living. What manner of persons ought ye to be? And so we're going to, Lord willing, start that next week. But a good introduction to that is the fact that no matter what happens in our country or in this world, we have anchors for the soul. Amen? Let the Word of God encourage you. Be of good cheer, brethren. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, use your Word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.